Hello and welcome to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Craig Johnson. This week, like literally everyone else in the world, we're going to be talking about coronavirus. Now, of course, I'm not going to try to sit here and tell you anything about the epidemiology related to this virus. Uh, If you want that information, you should check another source. Instead, I'm going to be talking about how the right wing in the United States, Europe, and Latin America specifically are responding to the outbreak um, and what they think about the crisis. Now, there are two main right wing responses to the coronavirus outbreak broadly. One is denial and the other is a nationalist campaign blaming um, ethnic Chinese and global travelers uh, for the spread of the disease. I'm going to start with talking about denial. Now, this is the way that the Donald Trump administration originally responded to the virus outbreak. Um, This is the Trump responding to calls for testing by saying that the United States already was testing, calling the virus itself a hoax or the focus on it, at least as a hoax, something that the mainstream media so-called was overemphasizing, something that's not actually that important to deal with, um, an overblown problem. Now, this is the same as calling it a flu, effectively, uh, referring to the outbreak as, you know, little more than the latest iteration of flus that travel around the world and infect people and, you know, kill people who are vulnerable to infectious diseases, but, you know, not something that we need to upend our society around. Now, the alternate response one that is much more nationalistic uh, and much more, I guess I might have to say, virulent, um, is the one that is being moved to now uh, that the severity of the crisis is becoming apparent um, both to those on the right and those on the left and the center. The nationalist response focuses effectively on two things, um, blaming China and blaming globalization. First, I'll talk about blaming China. Now, blaming China for the disease is another thing that has uh, two parts. One is blaming the Chinese state for the disease, and the other is blaming ethnically Chinese people for the disease. Blaming the Chinese state focuses effectively on two attacks. Um, People suggest either that the Chinese government has mismanaged uh, the handling of the disease or that the Chinese government intentionally manufactured the disease, that that it is an artificial weaponized disease uh, that they made, I guess, in order to attack other countries by first attacking their own. Um, This particular conspiracy theory is a little bit confusing in that regard um, and focuses primarily on the fact that the city of Wuhan in China does, in fact, house a major Chinese governmental virology lab. However, there is no evidence at this time that the disease was manufactured by a government, and as such, these sort of conspiracy theory claims uh, should be dismissed for what they are, which is conspiracy theories. Now, referring instead to the disease as the fault of Chinese people, ethnically, um, should well, obviously, any anybody who's hearing that should ever recognize it for what it is. It's a racist attack against an extremely large part of the world's population and a large part of the population of the United States, Canada, Europe, and the rest of the world. Ethnically, Chinese people live like anybody else all around the world. Now, today in the United States, many common 
stereotypes of East Asian people focus on a supposed dedication to community or duty or honor or family. Um, However, in the past, in the 19th century specifically, um, there was a stereotype of ethnically Chinese people as, quote, plague carriers. Uh, Now, this is a disgusting way to refer to any group of people, um, and it was specifically referred to the people of East Asian descent who had come to the United States as workers. Now, as I said, this stereotype was most prevalent in the 19th century, uh, a period of time when China, that is mainland China, was relatively weak compared to the present day and also compared to the entirety of the rest of its history. In this stereotype, Chinese people are blamed for lacking sanitation standards, um, and there are also racist assumptions about uh, the Chinese diet. Uh, You see this stereotype coming back today, now, uh, in the wake of the spread of the coronavirus. Um, You've probably seen memes discussing uh, the fact that in the city of Wuhan, People eat things that many people in Western societies would not consider to be food. Um, Now, as a historian, uh, I feel an obligation to remind you that human societies are vast and diverse and that food ways are also vast and diverse and that things that are eaten commonly in the Western world, that is in the global north, in Latin America, in the United States, in Europe, um, are not normal things to eat in other places in the world and that this is just normal. And so we can't lean on that as a blaming device, a way to blame people of a certain culture for the spread of this particular disease. However, that of course is not stopping the right wing or nationalists in general um, from using this particular way of attacking ethnically Chinese people for their relatively different culture. as being the cause of the spread of the disease. And you can see how all of these stereotypes fit together, you know, uh, presenting their culture as dangerous, as alien, as different, um, and also focusing on sanitation, um, bodily health, things like that. Now, for those of you who are familiar at all with uh, other forms of ethnic stereotyping and specifically stereotyping of people who are considered to be to be dangerous because of the nature of their lifestyle or of the nature of their bodies. Um, this has already resulted in a series of hate crimes, which I think that we unfortunately uh, are not seeing the last of. Um, these hate crimes have occurred so far documentedly in the United States and in the United Kingdom. Um, But I'm sure that if one plumbed the news of various countries experiencing outbreaks of the coronavirus, uh, that these examples would be found elsewhere as well. The other major right-wing response to the coronavirus centers, as I said, uh, on the concept of globalization and what they describe as globalism. Um, When they refer to globalism, uh, they're both using it, as I've mentioned in a previous episode, as a dog whistle for people of Jewish descent, for Jewish people. Um, But in this case, they're also literally referring to it as a description of a world that is increasingly globalized, where people move around a lot in the world, uh, where goods and services are exchanged internationally, uh, where the economy, where our society, our culture are global. 
Now, there are parts of this that many people on the right wing like very much. Um, economic interconnectedness has made a lot of people very rich. However, rhetorically and ideologically, the extreme right is often very critical of global international economies. Um, and we see this not only in the present day, but also back in history, um, back into the 19th century. Um, but the main examples of it that we can think about as historical precedents are from the 1930s and 40s, um, when many countries mobilized their national economies uh, in the interests of the war later. But, but, but at first, they were mobilizing their country's economies nationally uh, in an attempt to increase their own national strength vis-a-vis -vis the rest of the world. And we see this kind of posturing now in the Trump administration in the Brazilian administration of Jair Bolsonaro, um, and also in many other countries um, that are sort of turning back inward after a period of about 30 or 40 years since the fall of the Soviet Union, uh, in which the global economy became significantly more in integrated than it was in the mid-20th century. Now, because much of this integration has had to do with integrating China into the world economy, uh, this has provided a great opportunity for the extreme right to blame this interconnectedness for the spread of the virus. And now there is some literal truth to this. If people didn't move around as much, it would be much more difficult for the virus to spread. Uh, however, they're not talking about it in this literal sense. They're talking about it in an ideological sense. Their claim is effectively, look, we told you so. Borders are good. Uh, restricting people's access to our nation is good. Um, the claim is that there is something wrong with social, cultural, and some of them are even literally saying ethnic mixing. Um, their argument is effectively that the increasing interconnectedness of our society is rendering us weakened and vulnerable to particular kinds of disasters. And their claim is that this is a perfect example of one of them. Now, one of the more disturbing uh, outcomes of this is that they are particularly focusing on, like I said, engagement with China as the reason that certain countries are experiencing massive or relatively large outbreaks of the coronavirus, whereas others are not. Um, they focus specifically on the fact that it is in Italy, in Europe, where the majority of the cases are today and where the worst outbreak in Europe is located, um, specifically in Northern Italy. And the extreme right, um, and also some mainstream conservatives, focus on the fact that Italy, um, partly because of its major tourist destinations and partly because of its garment industry, is relatively more intertwined with China than many other European countries. Um, this is also the logic behind Trump's exemption of Britain from the restrictions on travel to and from Europe that were just announced earlier this week. Um, this is a result of Brexit. Um, this is a vindication, so the right wing claims, of the British rights critique of open borders. Their claim is that, you know, see, we told you so, borders are necessary, restricting immigration and people's access to the nation is good for national health. Um, they see this as a vindication of their xenophobia, their nationalism, and their isolationism, effectively. Now, what this means is that even after the major effects of this viral outbreak are over, even once people and societies have recovered, this ideological impact 
will not go away. Their claim will be that in the wake of this kind of disaster and looking forward to the potential next one, uh, that societies need to be prepared, that people should shut off their countries to immigration, uh, specifically from China, they will say, and also from other countries which they describe as dangerous or diseased. Um, this will play directly into racist stereotypes of people from certain parts of the world. And it will unfortunately, I assume, be relatively convincing to many people um, who themselves have never been to these other parts of the world or who may be living in relatively uh, ethnically homogenous places in the United States or Europe. The last thing I want to talk about on this episode is how the coronavirus is affecting people on the right themselves, that is, the actual people, their actual bodies. Um, those of you who have been listening uh, or who have been paying attention to the news of the right in the world uh, will know that a very important event was held a few weeks ago called CPAC, um, the Conservative Political Action Committee. It's an annual meeting in the United States which draws together conservatives primarily from the United States, but also increasingly from the rest of the world, from the United Kingdom, from Australia, and from Brazil. Now, recently, we have learned that a person who had the coronavirus attended CPAC, and given that this is a conference uh, where people are shaking hands, uh, sitting very close with one another, um, engaging in debates, in conversation, and just being in human proximity with each other, um, the virus was transmitted apparently relatively significantly at this conference. Um, and attendees of this conference include effectively the leaders of the conservative and right-wing movements and political formations in the United States, um, effectively all of them. What this means is that it is entirely possible that in the coming days or weeks, we will find that many of the leaders of the right in the United States uh, will test positive for coronavirus. Now, there are already rumors that President Trump has contracted the virus uh, there are similar rumors about Vice President Pence. Um, in the rest of the world, there are similar rumors uh, about the president of Brazil, Jair Bolsonaro, um, and some of his close political associates. Confirmed cases on the right wing throughout the world include uh, the three top leaders of Spain's Vox Party, its sort of nascent neo-fascist movement. Um, now, these three men have the disease. They, they have tested positive for it. Uh, which means that their close engagement with right-wing voters in Spain and with other right-wing parliamentarians and parliamentarians in general in Spain uh, means that the disease could be spreading throughout their party. Uh, and frankly, I have absolutely no idea what the fallout from that will be. Uh, it'll be probably disturbing to see, um, but, you know, such is the world we're living in. That was your 15 Minutes of Fascism. I'm Craig Johnson. Join us next week, first thing on Friday, uh, as we continue to talk about the rise of the radical right. Bye.